Many readers enjoy a good science fiction novel with interplanetary travel and space stations. Many readers love a good fantasy novel with tales of sword fights and dreaded pirates. I've just finished a book that combines these two worlds into one epic story, The Weeping Sigil, book number two in a series from author Jordan Loyal Short. I'm Trevor Collins, and this is Times Like Now. Good day, Jordan. Thank you for joining me. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. All right. Your new book from the Dreadbound Ode series, this is book number two, The Weeping Sigil. When did this come out? When did this publish? Or when did you print this out? Uh, recently. It just came out November 12th was the release date. And how long have you been working on the Dreadbound Ode? Book number one, what was that one called? That one was called The Scald's Black Verse, and that came out at the very end of 2018. And the third book in this series, which is tentatively called Travels in the Dark, is hopefully going to come out next summer. Excellent. And you are self-publishing, is that right? Or That is right. The wonderful okay. world of doing it all by yourself. Hey, do it by, yep, DIY. Love it. That's how, uh, that's how, <laughs> that's how I'm doing it. Um, <laughs> in this world that you've created, I was very, very impressed with this book, by the way. I, I must admit I didn't, I have not read the first book, but I'm going to. And that should be interesting to, to go backwards in the chronological of it. Looking forward to that. But the world that you've created here is fantasy and sci-fi combination. A wonderful, what I thought was a wonderful balance of fantasy and sci-fi. We have people in horse-drawn carriages, as well as swords, but also people in spaceships flying in round in interplanetary travel. Um, how does that work in your world, and how do the plane, how do the ships fly exactly in this world? Well, uh, it's uh, all honestly, you know, it's like Clark Tech. Any sufficiently advanced technology appears magic, but I think it's kind of like the opposite of that, where any sufficiently advanced magic appears to be technology. Uh, and in this case, part of the way that I built this world. And part of the theme of things is uh, binding people's souls and sacrifice. And uh, the way that a lot of this technology works is that it's based on that ancient magic that uh, takes the power of a soul and harnesses it to do whatever, whether it be creating a light source or creating the power to drive a spaceship through what they like to call the void. So. Honestly, a lot of the technology that you're seeing as you read the books and you discover what's going on with it, the particularly what seems to be the more advanced technology is actually the relics of an ancient civilization that really mastered that magic where they were able to take souls and harness them uh, for uses like that. Okay, that that was a great explanation. I, I think that's clear. Uh, that was called the Shining Ones. Is that correct? That that older civilization. Yep, that's right. And that's kind of like the overarching big uh, conflict that's going on in the background is this like last thrash of the battle between this ancient civilization that's kind of destroyed itself, and there are only a couple of remaining members of this race that are still, you know, eons later trying to take each other out. And this, this ancient race race is now getting involved with your, your antagonists and your protagonists in this story. 
they've they've come to 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 the uh, to this realm, I guess. And our hero in this book, um, Henrik. When I when I met him, now I just picked up book two, but I've met him, <clears throat> and he has become a slave very quickly. He's floating adrift in a spaceship after after his world has been destroyed, and floating in a spaceship and is saved or rescued and then goes right into slavery. That's an interesting uh, position for our hero to be in. Um, what brought that about? Where, how did, a little bit about Henrik. Where did he come from that he has wound up here now? So the, you know, the macro level is this struggle uh, with this ancient race trying to uh, finish this uh long civil war they've been fighting but uh you know everything is in the story is grounded through the eyes of essentially three villains roar henrik and lissa are kind of the core characters of this story and they all started out life uh living in a small backwater village called scolia uh, and book one starts in that village where all three of them grew up um and uh Henrik is the son of the mayor. So in the story, the Tyrionites have invaded this world and are, are conquering it and using it uh, as a resource. Uh, and there are people who are kind of still fighting a, a war that's basically over because the conquest is done now. Uh, and there are people like Henrik's father who are kind of collaborators. And so Henrik grew up in a household where he was kind of spoiled compared to everyone else. He had the education, uh, he had the resources that they didn't because his father was acting as, you know, like a tax farmer for the conquerors. And how does he end up, and at the beginning of the book of, of the Weeping Sigil, adrift in a spaceship? Well, I don't want to give away too many. Well, not too much, no, of course, but just well, enough so to... Yes, please so go ahead. It's a, uh, you know, a lot of stuff goes down in book one. Uh, there is sort of uh, obviously a major catastrophe that happens um, and it all kind of spirals with a confrontation between the invaders, the Tyrionite Federation and the locals, the Norn villagers. And that's kind of the dynamic of the first book is the uh, locals kind of banding together in the face of this epic natural disaster to fight this rebellion that is really hopeless because there's such a tiny speck compared to this interplanetary federation that they really have had no hope of winning this even if they kill every single occupier in their village you know they'll just send more it's nothing so the first story is them kind of coming to terms with how outnumbered and how outgunned they are uh, but in the face of just total annihilation it's you know, fight and win free, you know, die free or just like face your fate and, and go down. Uh, and they all finally come together, of course, and and face their conflicts with one another and band together to fight this rebellion. The um, the space travel again, when uh, when Henrik leaves his ship, goes to another ship he has a creature that wraps itself around his head so that he can breathe in outer space. 
this was an amazing uh, first part of the book and an amazing uh, character and um, monster that you get to create in this world. And you get to give them these wonderful names. I love some of the names that you have for things like that monster or creature. And uh, there's a lot of that in this book that I was really enjoying the names of planets, the names of, of uh, governments and uh, names of characters. Is that a, you seem to really relish in that and enjoy that part of it because they're great names. Well, it's fun, honestly, you know, when you're just a big dork spending your time sitting around thinking of different worlds that you can imagine is great. Uh, and when you can have a moment where the thing you're talking about is the void lurk, uh, and the, the, say it again. What was it? The void lurk. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, and when you have a moment where you come up with something that's kind of different, you know, I've never really read anything like that in another science fiction or fantasy book. And after I made that, I felt great about it. It was uh, kind of a fun moment to think of how a civilization that's kind of not quite high tech and not pure magic would come up with a way to deal with something really practical and it's spacefaring uh, times where it's trying to, you know, you make a spacesuit out of either magic or technology, but it's really neither. And for whatever reason that popped into my head and I just kind of like thought about it and gave it like some interesting trappings that are, uh, you know, Henrik is a scholarly type. And so he kind of sees it through the lens of a book that he read about it once upon a time and tries to use that to like calm himself down where while this monster is wrapping itself around his head and he's shooting through the void of space. <laughs> is there any um, creatures like that in the first book that you could tell me about? Not, you not know, creatures like that, not creatures like that, but other creatures in general. You know, there's really not uh, in the first book, there aren't anything like that. And is uh, sort of the tableau gets more and more alien and they, you know, move, you know, at the first book is them in their village and things are just, you know, for them, normal everyday life. Um, they're occupied and this natural disaster makes things, you know, stranger and more dire. Uh, and everything happens in the first book and they're going to get farther and farther removed as the trilogy continues. They're going to go, um, farther away from their normal safe homeland and things are obviously just going to get stranger and stranger as they roam out into the strange distant parts. Of I, I loved the, I loved the culture you created, the magic system, the spaceships and, and the, the communication. Um, it's, it's really uh, chewy. The, the, the dialogue and, and, and whatnot is really great to chew on. I really enjoyed it and was found myself you know, thinking about it, what was going to happen next and thinking about the characters. And uh, yeah, that's a sign of a, a great read uh, right there. Um, tell me a little bit about your background, uh, Jordan, uh, your education. Uh, is this your first books, these two? Um, well, my uh, education, I uh, went to the University of Washington, where I decided that I was going to do all kinds of stuff besides being a writer during my education. I was a computer science, uh, not actually a major, but I was on track to be a major uh, in computer science. And then I had a project that went horribly wrong where I was partnered with a frat boy that didn't know anything about computer programming. And I tried to uh, do the whole project myself and I had been awake for like 48 hours working on this project and then decided I do not want to do this for a living. 
Uh, and so, epiphany. yeah. And then I thought, you know, maybe I want to be a teacher. Um, so I was thinking about that and I was taking history classes and I finally decided I a short story class that I really enjoyed. And I wrote a couple short stories for that. Uh, and so I thought, well, if I'm going to be a teacher, I can uh, kind of do whatever I want. And then, uh, you know, as long as I get a bachelor of arts degree, any of that will work out. So I thought uh, I'm enjoying this creative writing took uh, literature classes and then graduated with a bachelor's degree in creative writing. Um, and I've worked kind of a lot of different stuff. I was a web designer for a little bit. I've been a waiter and a bartender. I was a copywriter for a while and I managed like a creative team that did like game reviews and um, made videos. I worked for a, an online game store for quite a while. Uh, and uh, at the moment, uh, my wife and I recently um, quit our old jobs that we had for quite a while and bought a small business. So my wife and I are small business owners. Um, we own a salon in our hometown here. Um, and this is not my first book series. I actually wrote a book that took me seven friggin' years to write. Um, you know, that's what happens when you work 45 or 50 hours a week and you just nibble a little chunk of time here and there to work on it uh and then i wrote that book and kind of decided it wasn't really good enough um i think i kind of didn't understand the process of rewriting as well as i needed to so i wrote that book and it had some issues with it and instead of like really tackling tearing it apart and fixing things with it i just kind of moved on to the next thing i think it was a great learning process by doing that i got the chops to move on to the next stage. I think every book you write, at least in my opinion, in my experience so far, uh, you learn a lot because uh, it's a lot of work, you know, obviously. So I feel like uh, that first one was a great learning experience. Uh, a playground, so to speak, <laughs> like a, a place to a place to learn to, you know, walk or before you run, maybe. Yeah, best seven years I ever spent. <laughs> Only seven. That's a good... Yeah. Um, if you're just tuning in to uh, this podcast or this radio program, I'm speaking with Jordan Loyal Short regarding and about his new book, The Weeping Sigil, which is book number two in the Dreadbound Ode series. And um, this is a, a, a very kind of a violent world that you have here. I enjoyed some of those, but there are some nasty characters, pirates and uh, raiders and everything that you want in, in a good space adventure. But some the addition of magic makes things, uh, it's a good twist. There are some, some hard characters and some pretty fairly vicious battles, which I enjoyed. And um, tell me something about, about pronounce it for me, Boar? Broar. Broar? Yes, Broar. A little um, bit about his character. Uh, Broar, so as I said uh, earlier, the arc of this uh, overall series really centers around three characters, Broar, Henrik, and Lissa. And uh, the first book, uh, Broar is the main character of that book. And um, it starts off, uh, the prologue is kind of uh, his grandfather, um, murders his twin as he is born in order to bind his spirit to him. Um, and that is because their culture has been conquered by this off-world group 
and he is one of the uh, older generation that remembers being free, and he is hung up on uh, winning this rebellion that's basically over already. And so he forges his grandson into a weapon by using this magic. So Roar's upbringing is that he is kind of caught between two worlds. He's raised by a man who is all about this rebellion and getting rid of these conquerors, but like the fight's done. And so it's this weird world that he's been raised up in where he is, you know, and he is the son of a local uh, woman and one of the conquerors. So he is also mixed ancestry. So he's really caught in this in-between world where he's being raised by someone who looks at him almost like one of them and his the people in the village around him also look at him like he is one of them so he doesn't have a place in this world um, and he is raised with a lot of anger he's raised in an abusive household he's raised almost as an object uh, and so his story arc really is coming to terms with that rage which is only amplified by the fact that he has the soul of his stillborn brother uh, grafted onto him and that is a raging spirit that overtakes him at times but also gives him supernatural combat abilities as you probably have witnessed in book two yes i did yes i did um it and that's when i began thinking this would make an incredible movie or series have you thought of uh looking into that because it seems like now would be the time Yes, if you're listening, anyone who has the ability that <laughs> open to talk about this, uh, yeah, I think it would be great. I think there's, you know, I, when I think about um, scenes, particularly kind of action scenes, um, I like to, you know, I kind of think about it cinematically and try to think of imagery that can really, you know, bring something into focus. Obviously, you want to, when you're writing a book, not just focus on visual sensations. You want to have, you know, tactile and olfactory sensations that kind of bring things to life, too. But, you know, there's something amazing about seeing someone who is just in the throes of weird magic that's taking control of them and they're fighting to control themselves and their voices dropping an octave and, you know, all of this kind of stuff that would make for a great scene in a movie right i i do know i do know some filmmakers um that i might might talk to and if you think writing a book is difficult writing a screenplay equally as daunting and uh <laughs> and as as a as a challenge as well for uh on its own but uh so uh Let's say book one is focused on Broer, book two, Henrik. Will book three maybe be on Lysa? Yes, indeed it will. Uh, things pick up after um, the conclusion of book two. Uh, a story really, you know, all, all three characters are in it, but for sure Lysa is the focal character for the third and final book. Yeah, I can kind of see that uh, towards the end of of uh, the weeping sigil of book two, she comes kind of comes to the forefront, yep. and I could kind of see where that was going. Um, so your writing uh, style or or uh, routine, how do you go about 
getting into these characters, getting into this mood? Do you do you dedicate a, a time of day every day, or do you, you know, when the motivation is there, do you sit down and do it, or do you have a routine? There are many different ways of doing this, but what's your style? I'm not like a hyper organized anal kind of person that you know, has you know, 1201 ticks over, it's time for me to go do this next task. Um, I have some kind of broad strokes, you know, I usually on a day that I'm not working. Um, that's when I get most of my writing done. Um, but on a day that I'm not working, I usually will read my book for a little bit. And then I'll get up and uh, take a shower, go in and try to write for maybe an hour or something like that. I find that if I break it into smaller multiple times during the day, I get a lot more done than if I just like, you know, here's me sitting at a desk for eight hours. Six of that is going to be spent staring off into space. Um, so I try to sit down and then write for an hour and then I'll, you know, make myself lunch and go for a walk usually. And then I'll come back and sit down and try to do a little bit more writing. And then I'll, after I get, uh, I usually try to set a page goal for myself when I'm working on a, a new story. Um, and then when I get that done, um, then I, you know, there are a lot of other tasks associated with it. Um, so once I get that goal done, then I'll start working on the marketing kind of stuff that you have to do to make it successful too. I've heard uh, the quote, I don't know who said this, unfortunately, but uh, some call it procrastinating. I call it thinking. Yeah. And I, I always kind of, that quote has always uh, resound with me because like you said, a walk or doing the dishes or anything like that is creative headspace where you're, you're thinking about what you're going to go right, you know, kind of playing out ideas in your head or moments of inspiration come at the most, you know, mundane tasks. So we're always working. Us Absolutely. I, I definitely, definitely agree with that. I mean, I think there's the amount of time that I spend with my pen moving writing words is fraction of the amount of time that I spend thinking about it there. You know, when you write something that's novel length, there are so many little connections that when you do like a basic outline, you don't foresee that, you know, this person in chapter three, this thing, and it's got this repercussion that comes, you know, six chapters later, and you didn't think about that. Now you have to go back and figure out a way for these two cause and effect things to come together uh, in a way that doesn't feel forced. And there are so many little things like that, that, you know, like I'll, in, I take long showers because I sit there and try to daydream about what's going on in the story. And it's a great place where there's no other um, kind of sensory input. So you can really just zone out and think about whatever yeah, the the characters in this story are really well written out. They seem really well defined. They have personality that really jumps off the page with you. I found myself, you know, thinking about them, and they're interwoven in a way that is very complicated. Um, and how long did this book take to get to this point? How long did you write on this one? Um, this one I spent about a year and a half on uh it's it definitely would not have been so long i did a there's a thing called NaNoWriMo, which is great it's national novel writing month um which is just like kind of a way that people motivate themselves to get a bunch of writing done there's a website for it uh, they have like tracking progress stuff anyway the point of it is that i did this and i kind of overdid it 
uh, and this was uh, last year in July when I was just starting this and I um, gave myself tendinitis. Um, and so then I had to lay off uh, and then I kind of forced myself to do it. And I did it in a way that is not normal for me where I um, partly typed it and partly dictated it, which uh, we were talking before the show started. It, it just kind of feels like exercising a different set of muscles. Um, but I just kind of made myself get through it. Uh, and by the time I got done, the first draft was pretty unspectacular. So I ended up spending a lot of time rewriting it because the first draft had all of the like plot level stuff, but it just wasn't as immersive and compelling, you know, as I wanted it to be. So I ended up making some pretty massive revisions to it. Yeah. One or two or three drafts is, is certainly normal. And yeah, I really enjoyed the book. Thank you for writing it. I look forward to reading uh, book one and book three. Um, aren't you going to be doing something else here? You're going to be hosting a online uh, gaming thing. What was I, I saw? Uh, I host uh, Pathfinder and Dungeons and Dragons online every week, which is extraordinarily exciting for me personally. I don't know how much your viewers care about my Dungeons and Dragons habit, but it's getting serious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Um, thank you so much for joining me. And uh, I've got to mention, I haven't seen you in some time face to face, uh, but I do really enjoy your hot toddies. Heck of a bartender, as well as an amazing uh, author and D&D uh, &D gamer as well. Multi-talented Jordan Loyal Short. Thank you so much. I really had fun and I'm glad that you invited me here. Yes, uh, maybe we can do this again when, when uh, what was the book for number three? What was the title? Tentative? Travels in the Dark. Okay. Jordan Loyal Short, author of The Dreadbound Ode, have uh, been speaking about book number two, The Weeping Sigil. If you'd like to find more about Jordan's books or purchase them, they are available at Amazon.com. Thank you to Jay Cody Robertson for original music. The show is now being podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This, once again, is Times Like Now. I'm Trevor Collins, and I'll talk to you next time. <laughs>